Hello, Eagles fans, and welcome to another edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast. I'm Chris McPherson. Pleased to be joined by Bo Wolf and Fran Duffy. The Eagles are in first place in the NFC East, and it comes at a little bit of a price as the Eagles have to make do without quarterback Nick Foles and linebacker Mark and linebacker D'Amico Ryan's. Yes, linebacker Mark Sanchez. Mark Barkley. Mark Barkley for the foreseeable future. And uh, I guess we'll just jump right into it from there. How do you guys see the impact of the loss of Nick Foles? Sanchez thought played very well, threw for over 200 yards, two touchdowns in his first regular season action since 2012. How do you think that he'll be able to kind of keep the ship afloat while Foles is sidelined? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on the Eagles Beakley podcast. I Welcome. appreciate that. Um, thank you. There you go. Uh, listen, I mean, you know, you never want to lose your starting quarterback, but this is why the Eagles went out and got Mark Sanchez for, for just this uh, – not inevitability, but possibility. Um, and he look, he moved the offense great, even better than uh, the, some of the throws he made, the deep throw to Jeremy Macklin, the two touchdown passes, which were beautiful. I was just impressed with the way that he was able to run the offense. Uh, everything moved very smoothly, very efficiently. Uh, he doesn't necessarily get credit for how good the run game was, was working, but he was getting everybody to the line very quickly. I thought that was very impressive. Um, and... Uh, I think it's fair to say that the drop-off between Nick Foles and Mark Sanchez is smaller than the drop-off from Jamaica Ryans to whoever replaces him at inside linebacker. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see. But I think, I think I'm think i confident that, that Mark Sanchez can lead this Eagles team uh, forward and in, into the playoffs. I would agree. I mean, look, Sanchez came in and most of all looked very comfortable in control of the offense. I didn't sense that uh, you know that the moment was too big. Obviously, a veteran who has been battle tested and has been to championship games and has led playoff teams, good and bad. I mean, the guy has been around the league, and we've had him on in the podcast earlier in the year. The guy knows what he's doing, and he he came in and was very much in control of the offense. Did everything that was asked of him, and and did it well. I mean, I wouldn't put those two interceptions on him at all. Uh, I thought that he especially did really not good. the first one. Yeah, what, what happened the on the second one? one? What did you see? The second while one, tape? it's tough for me to tell exactly where you know who screwed up or you know what what the miscommunication was. If there was even a miscommunication, it may have just been that you know one of the receivers couldn't get off the line. So uh, you know clearly there was some kind of mess up on the outside and messed up the timing of the throw. So and to be fair, he did have a couple other interceptions that were dropped. Yeah. yeah. So it in, it balanced out really. But yeah. Yeah. So I mean, look the. For a, a guy coming in cold in the second quarter, I was absolutely very happy to see you know with what we saw. So uh, at linebacker, I think I could speak for all of us to say that if this injury happened two months ago, we would be a lot more mm -hmm. panicked than we are now after seeing uh, Casey Matthews and Emmanuel Acho perform with Kendricks on the sideline. So I feel a lot more confident with those two guys moving forward at this point than I would have if this happened a month or two ago. I would certainly agree with that. I'll, I'll stick with Sanchez. It seemed like that he played better than the numbers showed. You look at the numbers, over 200 yards, you know, the two touchdowns, two interceptions. But to me, it seemed like he just played, like like you said, Bo, how he controlled the offense, the tempo kept moving. The, his athleticism, I think, certainly helps the run game because I think it's something that defenses will have to account for, especially moving forward. I definitely think he played better than what the numbers might have shown. And I think the uh, – not the worry, but the, the wrinkle to it now is – uh, if something happens to Sanchez, then you're down to Matt Barkley. So uh, that's why you that's why you have three quarterbacks. That's why you have two starting caliber quarterbacks. But now you really hope that uh, at least until Foles can get back healthy, that that Sanchez can stay healthy. Yeah, I mean absolutely. And it, you pointed it to the run game, and he's going to be a bigger threat for defenses to worry about just because he's a little bit more fleet of foot. He's a little bit more twitchy than than Nick Foles is. And uh, you know, look, that's something that defenses are going to have to account for. I'm really interested to see how the offense looks Monday night. 
against the Carolina team that they should be able to move the ball against. Did you see the Texans' defense change at all uh, in their game plan, their approach when Sanchez came in question. for Foles? I don't think so. I don't. I think they they came out and they were doing a lot of the same things that you know they did in the first quarter. Uh, but really, the, the big thing was that the tempo definitely got to them. No question about it. And credit to Sanchez for being able to orchestrate that. Uh, that that was absolutely the case. Chip Kelly has said all along that he needed to have two quarterbacks to go through the season. He saw it last year in his first year with Michael Vick and Nick Foles. He's going through it once again. The thing I also have to give Sanchez credit for is he was ready for the moment when called. And it seemed like he's been working hard behind the scenes. He's been you know, studying in the film room. Making eating the sure. chicken fingers. Yes, eating the chicken fingers. I was wondering, I was like, I hope he didn't just have a chicken finger or a hot dog right before he went out on the field. But he was ready for when the time's called. We look at New York, we look at the Jets. Former Eagles quarterback Michael Vick had the same opportunity, wasn't ready. And he actually admitted that he wasn't ready yep. for it. So it's a credit to Sanchez that he was ready for the moment when he was called. Let it be known also that I also had some of those chicken fingers and they were delicious. <laughs> Joe Helder, one of our other producers, was shooting on the sideline and had somebody go and grab him chicken fingers from the press room, and they were awesome. You, wait, you guys are big time that you're getting – you're having people to go I, get the jo- chicken I fingers? I didn't. I didn't. I'm not big time uh, okay. like Joe Helder. Okay. Joe Helder got somebody to go up. They, I, they, BT can speak to that. They don't go to the to the press box. They have them down in the photo room. So oh, okay. I was going to say that sounded a little a little ridiculous. Well, somebody got chicken fingers. You still fingers. sent someone to get you chicken fingers. Somebody, that, somebody that, went and got chicken is fingers. That bo- is that the – the group of chicken fingers from which uh, Sanchez got his? It's possible. Mm. I don't know. That's a good question. That's interesting. That's an interesting question. Very interesting. But I, I am really excited to see how he, see, how he runs the offense, to see how the play calling will be. Is it going to be a lot more you know, run-based, especially you look at the offensive line? Evan Mathis is supposed to be able to come back and suit up this week for the Eagles. You know, Don't quite know at this point, as we're recording, it's about Todd Harriman's, but Jason Kelsey came back. And you saw how much better the screen game was, his ability to get to the second level. So you got the offensive line coming together. You got everyone on the perimeter healthy. Definitely will be good to have that around him because Sanchez has never had that in his career. And he clearly likes the up-tempo stuff. He talked about that when he signed here, that he felt like he was most productive in New York when they went up-tempo at the end of halves, at the end of games. Uh, So this is something he enjoys playing in. Uh, And, you know, listen, historically, the, the downside to Mark Sanchez is that he turns the ball over. Nick Foles was turning the ball over, and the Eagles got to this point. So uh, as long as he uh, moves the offense as it's been moving, I think the Eagles will be all right. And people talk about this this system as if it's QB-friendly, and it is. But uh, the reason why it's QB-friendly is because you've got the personnel that you've got on the offensive line. Uh, you've got the run game. And this pass game is set up to the point where, look, it's you're eliminating what's not there. Okay, this isn't there. Okay, check. The next one. Okay, this isn't there. Go to the next one. If not, I'm running or I'm throwing away, and they have all these different options built off of things. It makes it so that as long as you make a quick decision, you're going to be able to move the ball. And that's why even when Foles hasn't been producing up to par as to what we saw last year, the Eagles were still able to move the ball. You know, they're, they're, It's not like they've been stopped for 200 yards uh, you know, gained offensively. They've still been able to move the ball. The red zone. The big difference right off the bat. Three for three after struggling throughout the course of the season. Went into the game dead last in touchdown percentage. And as you mentioned, post on the touchdown throws, two amazing throws by Sanchez to help convert those uh, red zone opportunities into points. I like the question that Chip was asked this week at uh, the press conference. Do you, do you think uh, the fact that you didn't turn the ball over in the red zone helped your red zone performance this week? <laughs> And Chip was like, Probably, you gave yeah. me a softball. I think so. You gave me yeah. a softball on that you one. Could, you, could make that, you could make that case. Uh, I liked how effusive Chip was in his praise of Sanchez. You know, not listening to the noise on the outside when you signed him. It's like you signed the butt fumble guy. You signed the guy who struggled in his last year with New York. It just 
the time ran its course for him in New York. He just needed a fresh start, and it seemed like this had been the perfect opportunity for him. Well, we'll see. I mean, he's got to this point, he's got, the situation uh, at least. You know, five, six games at least to, to show what he's got. So now, also about the defensive side of football, I would definitely agree that it's going to be a bigger loss losing Ryan's as compared to Falls, just because of what you're losing from the leadership and playmaking standpoint. But I will agree with you again, Fran, that the fact that you've seen Emmanuel Acho, that the fact that you've seen Casey Matthews play a significant amount of rest because of Michael Kendrick's injury, you do feel better going forward. The only thing is you know this is definitive, that there's not going to be any chance of, you know, like Foles coming back on offense. This is going to be what will be on defense. And it'll be interesting to see uh, how the um, identity of the defense changes. Does Bill Davis go to more nickel and, and dime stuff with D'Amico gone, uh, or does he play as he's been playing? Um and he said after the game that, that Casey and Acho, whoever is in that D'Amico spot in the base, they're going to call the plays. Kendricks will call it when he's the only linebacker on the field. But everything in terms of uh, positioning is going to stay the same. Kendricks is still going to be playing that same position. So, uh, I mean, I know I know you're interested to see how the defense will, will change identity-wise. Yeah, I mean, I, I would suspect that they are going to be the same defense. I, I don't think that they'll change too, too much. Uh, obviously, we've seen them go to dime more over the last few weeks with the emergence of Nolan Carroll and the way that he's been able to fit into this scheme. But uh, I, I wouldn't expect that this team is going to all of a sudden, you know, be a mostly, you know, like at Arizona and be mostly dime or uh, Carolina is mostly nickel. I don't think that you're going to see that now. I, st I still think that they're going to mix in uh, the same way that they've done. And especially not against this, this Carolina offense that uh, is basically run heavy. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't expect that at all. What have you seen? You've started to look at the Panthers. What have you seen to this point? The offense has been struggling, very up and down. Now the offensive line has been battered, a number of injuries. But it even seems like Cam has just not been what he was a year ago, just very sporadic in his performance. I mean, both sides of the ball have struggled, uh, and, that, and that's been the big thing. I mean, offensively, you talked about they're, they're in the bottom third of the league in pretty much every major category. Defensively, it's the same thing, and that's the big difference because last year that defense was – really really top shelf and you know looking around the league they were able to get pressure on the quarterback they were able to force turnovers and this year they're just not doing it uh part of that obviously lose greg hardy he's he's been out of the lineup they lost some of the key members of that secondary they lost uh charles godfrey they ended up cutting because he's been inconsistent M mike mitchell they lost uh, signed with captain, the Steelers, captain yep. maryland signed with minnesota so they've lost a number of guys and, and some of those other other guys in the defense uh thomas davis is a year older uh, they've had to, you know, do some things. Is it things. Thomas Davis or Davis Thomas? It is not Davis Ooh. Thomas. It is Thomas Davis. Okay. Um, but you know, defensively they're not there. Offensively, look, I mean, a lot of the things we talked about with Colin Kaepernick, with being able to see the field and not leaving throws on the field, and uh, being able to read defenses and handle pressure. A lot of those things apply to Cam Newton. There are going to be plays and there are going to be games where Cam Newton looks phenomenal and looks like a world beater. And over the last couple of weeks, it's been the opposite. You know, New Orleans, there are, there are a lot of throws where. Uh, under pressure, he's thrown it away and thrown off his back foot and uh, just not making throws that a quarterback at his level at this stage of his career should be making. He's got five straight games with an interception after starting the season with none in the first couple matchups. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's in much of a running threat on pace for the fewest rushing yards of his career. That's the one thing that you always had to account for. You take that element of the game away from him, seem like he should be at least on paper, that much easier to defend. Well, he had the injury, you know, coming off that, coming off the ankle injury, uh, that definitely affected him. Uh, and he he has started to run a little bit more over the last couple of games. They're not doing as much of the QB design runs. Uh, they've started to do it. I think it was against Cincinnati. They started to cycle those in a little bit more. So we're starting to see those uh, a little bit more over the last couple of weeks. But I mean, look, they st you still have to throw the ball, and 
Uh, Kelvin Benjamin has been, I, I would think, what they've expected at this point uh, as a first-round pick. Is excellent at the catch point, goes up and wins. But he's a vertical receiver. Uh, that's you know most of his routes are going down the field. He's not one of those yards after catch guys that's going to make people miss. He's going to go up and beat you in the air. So uh, you've got him. You've got Greg Olson, who's a very reliable threat. And after that, they've got some receivers that you know it's tough to for Cam Newton to say, okay, I've got. Kelvin Benjamin here. I've got Greg Olson, and then you've got you know Cotchery, You've got Jason Avant. You've got Philly Brown, who's a rookie. Not uh, a lot of speed. No, it's not. It's not a lot of speed. So uh, that's going to be the issue. And you touch on the offensive line. I mean, it's just a, it's a mess right now offensively. They're supposed to get all those guys back potentially for the game Monday night. That so would that be big. Have a nice layoff. Yeah, that would be big because they've got the long week uh, coming off Thursday night. Yeah, the Thursday night game. So three, five, and one, if I'm correct, coming into this matchup. I believe they haven't won a game in a month. Yeah. Yeah, because they have, they have a, a tie mixed in there with with three with losses. With Cincinnati, so yeah, it's been a bit of a struggle. It looked like they were going to be back at the top of the NFC South once again, but not the case right here. So, but we're going to uh, move on and then uh, keep things rolling here on Eagles Insider Podcast. Eagles Beak. Welcome back to the Eagles Insider Podcast, and uh, we we should toss some bouquets, Fransway. We were talking off camera before we started and about our fantasy football league that we have here in the office, and. Bo was saying it should be called the Frantasy Football uh, League. Obviously. But. Fair enough. Because he created the league. He so, did create the league. He's yeah. a commissioner. And maybe that's how he ended up winning. But he knocked off Katie Tang, Eagles social media. At Eagles. Guru. At Eagles, yes. Many, Ooh. many handles. Not just at Eagles. Not just at it's Eagles. True. No, no. I don't want to simplify and make it seem like that's all she does. But she was undefeated coming into this game. And Fran, what was the, what well, was the key to victory? Probably all, all the players of hers that were on by. I had a number of players on by as well, so that's I don't want to hear it. That's an excuse. No, that's why. I, look, it was a uh, it was a tough it was a tough one. I went to bed thinking that I was going to lose the game and uh, came out on top thanks to Antonio Brown and Martavis Bryant. So, so congratulations. And then, and then you. you and then that gave you the hutzpah to try to offer me Martavis Bryant for <laughs> Ronnie Hillman. Yeah. You got to try. Engaged interest. You got to try. Dip a toe in the water. See, you know, see if you might go for it. It's might right. be desperate. So I countered with uh, uh, Julio Jones for Blair Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> slightly, slightly lopsided. Well, yeah, they were equally unreasonable. <laughs> <laughs> there we yes, go. Yes, exactly. All right, we'll jump into our fails of the week. So Katie losing would be probably number six. So number five, we're going to go to the set of ESPN's College Game Day Live. And Lee Corso always puts on the mascot head of the team that he thinks is going to win. And he picks TCU, <laughs> the TCU Horned Frogs, but he put the hat on a little, a little backwards. This was his 250th uh, pick. This was his 250th uh, helmet how many times has he and how many times has he done it backwards? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know, but I feel like we get a lot of game day on the fails here. Yeah, what do you want? That's all right. What, how how long I love is that Kyle's studio show? It's a great uh, show. It's three hours. Three hours. You're yeah. gonna have a uh, fail. Nine to twelve. Yeah. yeah. You're gonna have a fail yes. or two. Would you say it's Would you say it's the best uh, studio show in the game? It is the best pregame show of any sport on any network. It is awesome. I love College Game Day. I would yeah. go number two to the uh, kickoff show on Philadelphia Eagles. Yes. It's fair. Should be one A. But one A one B one A one B. So, so number four, the Rams Niners, fastening end to the game. But this is Darren Bates, who's you know trying to get a little jump on the action there, try to block the field goal attempt, and just a little bit, a little bit offsides on that one. So I don't want to talk about this game. Look, he's a rookie. Yeah. Oh, mm. Survivor League. Sorry. Yeah, wow. My brother, my brother talked wow. me into it. I wanted Seattle. <laughs> Maybe that's the fail of the week right yeah. there. So <laughs> and I didn't even I was just it was on we were on the go go Wi Fi on the flight and it was terrible. Oh, was just, that's the worst oh way. Oh my god. 
The fate hanging in the balance. I really, really hated that matchup. And, and, and Division matchup, yeah. And isn't I, it? I thought that was one of your rules. It is one of my rules, and they were playing for the second time in three weeks, and mm. I, I just wanted to, I wanted to get through it with Seattle and Oakland, and I got talked out of it. It's my own fault. Yeah, that's what happens. I knew better. Number three, we're going to go to the Eagles game. Chris oh. Polk scores on an eight-yard touchdown run up the middle, capping off that four-play 70-yard drive, and tosses it right to a Texas fan. Whoa! She did not see that coming. The reaction is priceless. Does she, look like, does she look like Honey Boo Boo's mom? <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Jeez. <laughs> it's harsh, B. Dang, B. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth. It's harsh. Yikes. Oh, that's a shame. It's a good freeze frame there from Nick Rotondi. Uh, yeah. That's brutal. Um, did, yeah. I, I just hope the Eagles fan got the ball in the end. I I was, so. That's what I was going to say. I don't think so. She, she, Probably she not. She actually did not. She did not. Pol- oh. Polk just kind of shrugged his shoulders and kept walking. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I tried. Oh. So, Jeez. number two, the Washington-Minnesota game. And, you know, if we travel with wow. the Eagles, you go to the stadium, you have a police escort taking all the buses over to the stadium. And Except, you know what's ironic about this is the okay. only place you don't get it is in Washington. That is true. That is very true. So maybe they're not used to it. It's a very good point. Well, I've never heard or seen of this ever, and this is. And it's amazing. You figure for all the teams, and you figure the, the, these teams get escorts for all different sports, probably college as well. So Definitely. this happens yep. all the time. Yeah, yep. you you worked at Temple, so you yep. know firsthand, and you never hear stories like this happening. And it has the bus crash, and you know, thankfully everyone was okay. But I mean, talk about shaking you up before the start of a game. So yeah, I mean that's the reason why you get the escort is that it's a smooth ride over to the stadium. So and then uh, Coach Jay Gruden talking about how to, sure. you know, how how you supposed to prepare a game. It's easier than going out and getting it yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Jay Gruden talking about you, you were five feet from a cliff. Yeah, Jeez. not not the best situation there. So thankfully, uh, we don't play in Minnesota this year. So yeah. So number one, Chargers at the Dolphins. It's a blowout win for Miami, and uh, oh, they go for oh they go for the how do you go for the Gatorade bath on a thirty-seven to none nothing win? That is weird. Well, also the referee and the referee. Well, yeah, I don't know. What, I don't know what the bigger bigger fail is here. The fact that Miami is going for the Gatorade bath, or that that's the referee who's, go, who's doing the, the face. At the that's end of that. actually a really good idea, though, for like the end of a game. If you've been getting some really tough calls, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you you still got the win anyway, and and you set you you and the coach conspire to to fake pour water on him, he gets out of the way, mm. and then you just dump the water on the, on the referee. Well, that's, you're that's, talking. That's the kind of stuff I would do if I was on the sidelines. We've brought up the the fantasy topic. This this how about the the foul that they left Lamar Miller in the game and late in the fourth quarter they're up thirty seven nothing, and then he gets an AC sprain. Yeah. Well. Killing five of my fantasy teams. Yeah, it hurts my team. What, what's great about Joe this? Joe Philbin's <laughs> not a you know, guy who pays attention often. But. No. Thank you. Mm. Thank you, Brian. There you go. What, what's interesting is now that when I'm watching things like this happen on TV, I'm thinking, that's got to be the fail of the week. Now, one that did not make it in here is one from Evan Mathis. This is so funny. That he posts on Twitter. And uh, Rob Rang, who's a very, very good draft analyst, is talking about needs. Okay. Bo is shaking his head, but... I mean, I think this is this is evidence to the contrary. Well, he's doing he's the projecting the draft for next year. Gets to the Philadelphia Eagles right now, be number twenty nine. Goes with a guard. You might be thinking maybe that's the fail of the week right there. If no. the Eagles, if, before we get to this, if the Eagles pick a guard in the first round again, I mean, I'm quitting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I mean, the, I don't, don't say fault, that kind of I stuff. Don't fault, I don't fault Rob Rang though. It's not Rob Rang's fault. 
do you mean it's not his Wait, fault? For, it's for Rob Rang's editor's fault for making him do a mock draft in the beginning no, of November. That's, what, that's ridiculous. People read it. It's not you his know fault, people read though. It. It's not his fault. He can't be expected to be a college football analyst and know the needs of all 32 NFL teams. It's just absurd. That's why. That's the whole. That's why boat football focus is so funny because it's like, what is Rob Ryan going to get a memory chip planted into his head to know I, the needs I of every three with that. But then don't say, don't write that. Yes. Well, I know, but it's it, it's you're defending look, him. It, par, it's partly Rob's fault. This is the drafting like community. Rob. Look, I Fran, like Rob. Fran We've had Rob, Rob on the, show the drafting community. That's what it is. It's Rob's just a nice guy. these these drafts, these you know obscenely early mock drafts should just be done as. This guy is like 29th on my yes. big board. Like yes, this I agree. is like a good spot for him. Yes, I would agree. He could have wrote. He could have wrote. Chip Kelly values offensive line play. He didn't have to throw shade at the end. Yeah. That Todd being, said, that Evan, being said, Evan Mathis's response is just absolutely classic. So what's an offense line? And basically the uh, description here is the fact that Todd Harriman and Evan Mathis have been weak spots where Mathis hasn't played for pretty much the entire season. Well, I mean, I mean, a weak spot. Yeah, it's his fault that the run game wasn't able to get going in those uh, couple of losses. To uh, <laughs> that's great, that's so. great. But uh, but you gotta watch the promises because I recall 2006 <laughs> in Tampa Bay, we're in the press box and at the end of the first half, Donovan McNabb's driving the team down the field, and we get to first and goal, red zone situation, clock's about to run out. And Dave goes, if McNabb you. throws the ball short of the goal line and time runs out, I'm going to jump out this press box window. <laughs> sure enough, it's a check down to LJ Smith, gets tackled at the one, <laughs> clock runs out. I'm like, Dave, you ready to go? Exit stage left. So, didn't happen. So, we don't, we don't want these things to be popping up, especially now with Twitter and everything. How old is that guard, by the way? AJ Ken, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't looked it up. <laughs> He's not 27. Okay. There you go. Okay. You, you haven't put out your guard list for uh, next year? No. Okay. I would say this uh, <laughs> this guard class that you already this have. This is your... a great guard class. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my, I would I would say that one of the contributions uh, to the world, maybe, that I'm most proud of is that Fran has uh, partially, thanks to me, added the column for age to his enormous draft database. Oh, I felt the need because of because of Bo. When Bo looks at it now, he can stop asking me how old he is. <laughs> I appreciate that. I think. I mean, listen, it's a huge you time. Know, you know how I feel about age and draft prospects. It's a so. part of the evaluation process. Yeah, it has to be factored in. You there. are ageist. <laughs> yeah, when it comes to the draft, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, how much has this drafting a twenty-six-year-old guy who's playing against twenty, who's playing against nineteen-year-olds? So how much has the uh, the draft chart evolved over the years? Did it start with just like name, college, and then now it has all your different. Your letters. Yeah, it was named. Do you have character? Do you have character in there as well? No, nah, I mean you can't. You can't. Uh, you I don't could. Know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's not. I. You know, I don't know. It so. would be a good graphic, a good a good timeline of what what an, an individual player's uh, cell looked like from then until now. <laughs> the it would be one. something. Going back to early two thousands, it would be something. Who's the first? Who's the first? You remember the first draft class like, where you really went into it? Uh, uh, you have talked about this before. I remember the first. The first guy. This is actually funny. The first guy I actually wrote an article that was published uh, on a draft guy was Kyle Orton coming out of Purdue. Wow, uh, Nick Beard. Yep, the very first one. Impressive. I like Kyle Orton coming out. You know, as a mid, as, a, a what, he, as what he was, he's had a good career. Yeah, and he's lasted in the league for a while. Well, so. what what year? What draft class Oof, was he? That would have been oh, two thousand five, four or two thousand five. I think it was the two thousand five class. 
So that was what? Was that your senior year of high school? That was my. He was in sixth grade. Coming, I was no, I was coming out. It was my freshman year of college. That would have been just finishing my freshman year of college. Okay. okay. I remember. I remember my freshman year of college. I did a three-round mock draft, and and I nailed the How last many? the yep. last pick of the third round. <laughs> uh, um, what's his name? The uh, running back. From the Park. running back from Ohio State, <laughs> Maurice Claret, yeah. to the Broncos. The last pick of the third round. I had uh, and I and we were watching it. So How'd that work out for you? Worked out great. Yeah, <laughs> I, he I went pick. crazy. And he has a story. <laughs> that he a can story. And then he got to goose it up in in Denver, and the rest is history. There you go. So, fellas, I think that's going to do it for this edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast. For Fran Duffy and Bo, I'm Chris McPherson. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you all next week.